Welcome back to the 411 Podcasting Network. I am your host, Larry Zonka, and this is episode 64 of the 411 on Wrestling Podcast. You can follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, and of course, the 411mania.com website. Please make sure to subscribe to our show, share us around on social media, and if you have time, leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Joining me today, as usual, is my co-host, Jeremy Lambert. Jeremy, how are you today? I am well. I'm exhausted. It has been a long week, Larry, and we're going to talk about all of it. But I'm here. You're here. We're alive. That's all you can ask for. That's right. It it has been there's a lot, a lot, a lot to talk about for sure. We're gonna talk about Crown Jewel and the the post drama from that, MLW Super Fight, New Japan Power Struggle, and all the fun surrounding ROH these days. It's uh <laughs> plenty, plenty to talk about. Some of it horrible, some of it great. It'll be a good time. Uh so WWE Crown Jewel took place this past week, Jeremy, on Halloween. And uh, it was a show. We'll talk about it. Apparently, it apparently a lot every of people. Saudi show ever. Well, no. Apparently, it was the best one ever, and everybody liked it. And I'm a uh, big. Meanie. I mean, it pro- it probably was the best Saudi show. I don't think that's like high praise, but I, I'm trying. I'm struggling to think of a Saudi show that was actually better. It had like two good matches and it had two horrible matches. Like I don't know. We'll talk it about it. It had happenings, and I think that's what people cared about. Oh, I guess so. Uh, anyway, Crown Juice started with a battle royal for the U.S. title shot. Humberto Carrillo won Jeremy 12 minutes. It was every battle royal ever. It was not good. I was taking a shower during this. I didn't care. It was obvious Carrillo was going to win because, I mean, they needed a babyface challenger for AJ's title, and... It was either him or Cedric, so which one did they want AJ to beat again is what it came down to. Yeah, pretty much. I I should have been drinking during it. But anyway, we started (laughs) off the show with the WWE champion Brock Lesnar defeating Cain Velasquez at 2.15 via submission, Jeremy. Yeah, Brock. Brock, the modern-day Hulk Hogan, uh, bringing this dude in to get his win back from his UFC loss. I like this match. I thought it was something different. Uh, Kane looked like kind of an idiot, and you just completely beat him in his first match, which maybe not the best idea in the world, but whatever. They they like Brock, and Kane's there for the long term anyway, so they can rebuild him at some point. Brock's awesome, though. His matches feel different. This was different. Like They did the big Kofi win, which upset a lot of people, but now he's beating... Uh, He's beating Cain Velasquez, a legit MMA fighter, in two minutes. So I, I thought this was fun. I'm torn on who the better worker is, Brock or Cain, because Brock gets this guy signed to come in so he can get his win back in under three minutes, and then he gets to go home early from the event because he's Brock Lesnar and made like a million dollars for showing up or more. And then there's Cain Velasquez, whose knee is apparently shot to shit, had AEW vying for him, Got WWE to sign him instead for a probably a shit ton of money for multiple years. And now he's going to have WWE pay to take care of his knee. I mean, that's some next level. That's like some Canellas level shit. It's a, it's a good gig. <laughs> Both of these guys, they, they know what they're doing. 
And that's, I guess, maybe the UFC in them because Dana White wouldn't let them pull this shit. Brock pulls this shit anyway, but I I didn't have an issue with this match. I apologize, I'm eating on air. I didn't have an issue with this match, though. I thought it was a... I mean, it wasn't a good match. It was short, but it was different, and I appreciate that they did something different. Yeah, I mean, knowing the knee issue, I, I can accept the result a little better because, like, otherwise, killing Kane in three minutes is, like, incredibly stupid. So, but at least uh, maybe they'll tell a better, like, redemption story later on. We'll see. But uh, post-match, Brock decided... I thought Michael Cole... I... Go ahead. Real quickly, I thought Michael Cole did a good job, like, pointing out that Brock attacked the knee because watching it live you couldn't really tell that Brock actually hit him in the knee and that's what caused him to fall into half guard for Brock to lock in the Kimura. But Michael Cole was was really good at like, oh, he kicked him in his knee, like that's his injured knee and everything. So Michael Cole actually did something well on commentary. Yeah, commentary actually calling out something important is a nice change. Yeah, and that's because Vince was too busy dealing with the Saudi guys to yell in his ear. So post-match, uh, Brock was beating the shit out of Kane, and uh, Ray came in and made the save with chair shots and ran off Brock. So guess we're going to do possibly Ray versus Brock, which is actually kind of fascinating. I'd like to see that. Or, you know, they could do a team deal with Survivor Series, too. Who the hell knows? We'll find out. Brock's going to kill this poor man. Well, probably, but it's going to be fascinating. <laughs> It's going to be awesome because Ray bumps his ass off and Brock is great when he's just tossing around little dudes and Ray and is the Brock, littlest of them and, all. And we know Brock loves working with smaller work rate guys. Yeah. So, so I, I mean, I'm sure be it'll be a lot of fun. Next up was the biggest tag team turmoil match in the history of the universe to crown the bestest tag team ever. The Good Brothers, Jeremy, won at 32 minutes. This match went forever. Good Brothers winning was definitely surprising. Um, it looked like the Viking Raiders were easily going to, to win this thing because they hadn't really been beating. They've been built up really well. They're the Raw Tag Team Champions. They came out last, and then the Good Brothers won. It, it made sense. It would have been weird if the Viking Raiders came out last and, you know, they're the babyface team and then they just beat a team who had to go through another team. It's like, that's how you're going to portray your baby faces. So I like that that didn't happen. Good brothers winning. I'm, I'm fine with they did. You know, the OC is one of the more popular things right now. And it gives Anderson and Gallows a little bit of an accolade there, but the match wasn't, I don't remember any of it. It was fucking long as, Long as hell. Brother Carl needs another pull, okay? So, you know, he, he needed the big win here. So it's He's okay. going to go back to Saudi to get his pull. I know. Uh, it, I thought it was okay. It was really uneven. Like, there were some good points, but then it just got really long and felt lethargic. Uh, the winner's definitely a surprise, and that should obviously set us up a tag title match. So, at least there's something solid coming out of that. Yeah. Next up, Mansoor defeated Cesaro 12 minutes and 40 seconds via pin. I thought this was easily the best thing on the show. Um, first of all, it, it was very good. You got to play to your audience, and these people loved Mansoor. They wanted him to look good, and, you know, they paired him with Cesaro, which is possibly the smartest thing they could have done because he works well with everybody. He understands what his role is. And he looked great here, but he also made Mansoor look great. I mean, Mansoor's like a dude that's like, 
You can tell he has talent. He, hey, dude has a great head of hair. I'll give him that. But he has some talent. He has some ability. He has potential. He needs to, you know, obviously work more um, to get better. But there's a ton of potential there. And Cesaro brought the absolute best out of him. They had a very good match. The crowd was invested. And then he got to cut the big hometown hero promo afterwards, which, hey, holy shit, look what happens when somebody wins in their quote-unquote hometown. So, I mean, I thought this whole thing was the best thing on the show. It was good. I mean, they're not going to do anything with Mansoor now, and I think that's my biggest issue with it is, like, when he won the battle royal it was a really cool moment and you know the crowd is crying and everything and he he came off like an absolute superstar to anybody watching at home and then he was never around and never existed until i guess he did one match on nxt where he lost and but otherwise he wasn't around and then he comes back here and he beats cesaro great match cesaro i mean he's not gonna have a bad match with really anybody um at this point and mansoor can work we just we haven't seen much of it because we haven't seen much of it and yeah the the moment came off big once again mansoor again looks like an absolute superstar in this moment uh, but it's it's just it's so meaningless it's so the transparent of what they're trying to do is just like all right we're trying to just appease the Saudis here by giving them this victory, and then we're not actually going to use this guy. Shit, he might actually get buried moving forward <laughs> with all the issues. Um, but yeah, good good match, cool moment. It just it was ultimately, I mean, most likely. I don't want to say for sure, but most likely meaningless. I think that this win should qualify Mansoor to challenge Braun for his uh, big green greatest Royal Rumble belt. Sure, I'm fine with that. Like, do something with this guy. and Do something with Braun, which we'll talk about next. <laughs> uh, they announced that NXT will be part of Survivor Series this year. Yeah, and then the SmackDown show was pretty awesome with all the NXT guys. Triple H sabotaging the plane was a great move. <laughs> Gotta love him for that. Uh, no, but uh, next up, Tyson Fury defeated Braun Strowman at like eight minutes via count out when he punched him in the face and knocked him to the floor. This sucked. Yeah. This really sucked. Tyson Fury, I mean, he's obviously an athlete. He's obviously an entertainer. He didn't look like he was really knowing, knew what he was doing there. And Braun, not a guy who's going to like carry the load in that aspect and okay it's like monster versus monster but again like it, it definitely wasn't mayweather versus big show which remains awesome it wasn't um, d'angelo williams in tna either no it, it wasn't tyson fury just wasn't good the finish really sucked especially michael cole trying to sell it as like a knockout and then the ring announcer says it's a it's a count out like good job dude you just you had a good moment earlier and that was his one for the month he used it early this month yeah, I guess I, he used it late. It was October 31st, technically, so he waited until the last day to use it. Saved it all up. Yeah, yeah I, I thought this was horrible. Did not like it at all. Somebody got upset with me because, and I'm, I was being honest, Fury looked gassed at the end. Dude was moving so slow, his legs were heavy, and he's like, Tyson Fury can go 12 rounds. Wrestler would be tired after, like, three. I'm like, here's the point that people need to understand. Boxing and wrestling are very different. Yes, if you put an average pro wrestler in a boxing ring, I mean, hell, if you've ever done like boxing cardio classes, that's why they're cardio classes because they will tire you the fuck out. 
Because regular people that don't do boxing on the regular and train don't know how to throw punches and control their body and control their breathing. So yes, they would blow up. Same thing goes for pro wrestling. How many times do you see a guy that is a great athlete and then they come in and all of a sudden, well, why are they tired? Blah, 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 blah. Because wrestling is different. He got tired. He wasn't ready for this. Yeah, he's a showman and stuff and people want to give him credit for trying to work a match, but it was bad. Brother got $12 million though, so fucking God bless him. And it's like CM Punk used to wrestle hour-long matches, and then he goes to MMA, and he looks gassed after five minutes. It's just, it's a completely different, everyone says it, I don't, anyone who thinks that it's not a different kind of cardio is just kind of stupid. Well, I mean, there's a segment of people that want to, in my opinion, are trying to defend this show as something good. So they're looking for any counterpoint to, like, in my review, any of my negatives for the show. So they want to find anything to counteract it. And it's like, I just, I didn't enjoy the show. They're like, oh, it's just because you don't like the Saudi shows. No, it wasn't a good show. Move on, U.S. title match. AJ Styles defeated Humberto Carrillo, 1235 via pin. I thought this was solid at best. It didn't really play to the strengths of Carrillo. And he never really got the shine before losing again to AJ Styles clean. They never really got out of second gear. No clue what they're doing with Humberto, but he looks like he's getting the Cedric treatment right now. Yeah. I guess that's how, like, this is how they think you make stars nowadays is you make them look competitive against top guys and then they'll be stars. And I mean, how's that working out for Cedric? How's that working out for like Cesaro and all these other guys that have, come and gone and they looked competitive against the champion but ultimately lost like andrade was doing that for a little while is just put guys over and if you don't want to put them over don't put them in this position yet the match was fine but i'm with you it just felt kind of flat like the crowd wasn't really all that into it aj looked like he didn't really care umberto looked like he didn't really care either they were just out there doing their thing, working their house show match, and like that's pretty much what it was. Exactly. Uh, up next, they made history, Jeremy, and that's all I've heard Made for history. Natalia defeated Lacey Evans wearing uh, tights and a uh, T-shirt at 725 via submission, uh, obviously. I, I guess they had to wear the T-shirts because they looked too much like women just fully covered up. I don't know. Couldn't um, tell them apart if they both just wore black bodysuits. Attractive <laughs> blonde ladies. Like, which one's which? Yeah, so who the hell knows? Um, I thought this was like most of their Raw matches. I thought it was perfectly okay. There was nothing wrong with it. They were being very careful to both babyface it up and not have anything that would come across as controversial. Uh, the crowd seemed to really like it, so hey, that's great. Um, and you know, they, they hugged and shared a cry post match. It came off like a really nice moment and I've been accused of underselling it, Jeremy, because I didn't throw it like over as the biggest changing thing in the world. I, I, I don't know. It was okay. I mean, like I was glad that the crowd really liked it and I thought it came off nice. I don't know what else you want me to say. I mean, do I think we're going to get like a bunch of women's matches going forward at these shows? If there are any more shows, I mean, who the hell knows, but 
I mean, it was a nice moment and everything. It's just, that's what it is. Maybe I'd be a little more open to praising it more if we didn't have fucking five days of back padding after it. Yeah, I I liked this match. I liked that they kind of worked both babyface, and I understand why they did it, because as you said, you didn't want to do anything that would come off controversial. And and, ruin a chance for another one, yeah. Yeah, and it's also, like... You can tell they knew this match was in the plans before, but they couldn't like fully go with it because otherwise Lacey and Natalia just wrestling this nice little baby face match doesn't make a whole lot of sense after the feud they have. But then the week after their big feud, like they're teaming because they respect each other. It's like, oh, that planted the seed for them to do this match here. And in that respect, like it worked because if you don't do that and it was stupid, like it was stupid for them to just be friends after their, their big feud and Natalia power bombing her off of the stage through a table. And then all of a sudden, all right, well, I respect you. We're friends now. Like it's a, it's a dumb angle, but at least that paved the way to have them having this kind of match because if they were still locked into a feud or just coming off this big feud, this match would have made no sense. Um, again, I like the match. The crowd was really into it. The crowd, that that's what matters, especially to something like this. Like, I'm not someone who's going to be like, it's like, we know why they did it. I mean, we do, but you know, for those people in that crowd, um, maybe it's a, it's a false hope because nothing in that country is going to change based on this wrestling match. Uh, but for, for that moment in time, like that, that was a big moment for, for those, those women in attendance and those fans in attendance. And I like, I don't want to take that away from them. So they, they really enjoyed it. And you know, that's good for, for, for them. That was their moment. They got that, you know, good on them. Um, uh, you know, as an outsider, just, I, it's easy to see through, but they, they got their moment and, and I, I can appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, I don't want to take away from it either, because you can tell it meant a lot to Natty and Lacey, and that's great. I mean, that's very good, you know, but it's just like, again, I I would accept a lot of this stuff more if WWE wasn't so quick to fucking pat themselves on the back about it. It's like, why don't you just let a fucking moment be a moment, okay? It's not only it's not only Nat, Natalia and Lacey like the the women in the audience. I don't know what they're going through in Saudi Arabia, but it doesn't sound like it's very good. And for that 10, 15 minutes, however long the whole segment lasted, like they could put that aside and feel like there was something and, and feel like there is more out there to to be proud of and accomplish. And you know, who knows what that leads to for, for some of these women. I'm not saying this wrestling match is going to change the world, but for, for the women there, like it it could be a a big thing for them. And that like, that's big and it'd be foolish to, to try to take that away. Yeah. And again, I'm not, I just, you know, I, I can only take so much of WWE's back padding is my thing. It's just like, I I just think you should have let the moment play out. Because they have the match, and they hug some women at ringside, and that's all sweet, and like the crowd loves it. It's like, just let that be the story. Because that's more important to me than hitting me over the head with it for the next five days. You know what I mean? Because to me, that speaks more for the moment than anything else they say afterwards. Like, I'm cool with them posting Natty and Lacey talking about what it meant to them. That is great, because that's part of that moment. But I don't need fucking Stephanie on SmackDown and, oh, there's hope and we did this and blah, blah, blah. Fuck off. 
Okay, just fuck off with it. So I just I I think just all wrestling. This has nothing to do with this, but all wrestling. Sometimes I just would wish people could let a moment be a moment. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I'm with you. Yeah, yeah. I like. I agree. I don't need the whole WWE. Uh, like when Stephanie came out, um, and the next night on SmackDown, and was like, "This is the evolution." Like I really thought they were gonna capitalize. As an announce evolution too. <laughs> Instead, it was just like, I know. but it was like, look what we did in Saudi, and it's like, okay, we get it. Like they're gonna keep doing this, you know. The crowd chanted, "This is awesome," so that's gonna be the 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 tagline moving forward. Just like the "This is Hope" chant for Abu Dhabi. It's like, okay, like this is what WWE does. They're gonna beat you over the head with this. That bitch did an interview, and she was like, she was asked about the May Young Classic and Evolution Two. They're like, oh yeah, you know, we're thinking about it, we're considering it, but it's just not in the plans because we had the focus on getting this match on this show. Yeah, I read that. I was like, all it's right, like, sure. wait, wait, you worked all fucking year to do one match. They, it's it's really it's a strange thing with WWE and how their attention is is so singular and and it seems almost weird to say but like look at the the network like how long have we had the the rumored like tiered network coming it feels like over a year now and like maybe it's coming 2020 but who the fuck knows they like wwe hasn't actually said anything about it except out in the the financial calls but they they haven't released like too much information and they apparently the reported reasons because oh well we had to focus now on like NXT on USA like they can only put their focus on one thing and that one thing like isn't even like uh, the, the, this this Saudi match like this that one thing I guess to me doesn't seem like a big deal like it seems like okay you either you you're doing the match or you're not doing the match you know what I mean like you, you don't have to you either ask the Saudi people, can we do this? And they say yes, or they say no. And then you try to press them a little bit, but you've got a million employees. You can't be working on this other stuff at the same time as well. It's just, it's just very weird to me, but whatever. Yeah. No evolution Two, no May young classic three. And just, I don't get it. That seemed like those should have been annual events and you build up a lot of goodwill with those events. And they were just like, Oh, we had to do this Saudi moment. Yeah, I was gonna say you'd think with their vast staff that they could like delegate some things off, but apparently not. Apparently, everybody in the company worked on Lacey and Natalia Evans in Saudi Arabia. Yeah. So, uh, next up, Jeremy Team Hogan defeated Team Flair in a shocker, nineteen forty-five via pin. Uh, it was like kind of slow and okay for the first half, and then it kind of got better in the second half, and I kind I ended up enjoying it and thought it was good overall. Was nothing special, but I thought it was at least good. Yeah, I, I thought the second half was good. The the closing stretch was really good with the the baby faces kind of running wild there, and then Roman getting the win. Like it was fine. Everybody got a little bit of shine and and whatnot, and you know Lana was there to make Rusev jealous and shit. So it it, it was ultimately just another kind of like meaningless little match that's really the only thing that's going to come out of it is Rusev and Lashley kind of continuing their feud and that's it because some guys are on Raw some guys are on Smackdown and there's only one time a year when Raw talent faces Smackdown talent 
Allegedly. We'll see if that actually sticks. Because it didn't in this next match, Jeremy. Oh, yeah. WWE uh, Universal Championship Falls Count Anywhere match, Jeremy. The Fiend defeated Seth Rollins at twenty three or 21 minutes and 30 seconds. I will let you go first. <laughs> uh, the match sucked. It, it was the same match as Hell in a Cell where Seth Rollins just keeps beating the shit out of this guy and he just doesn't sell any of it. And... Then in the end, he went. They did a nice little callback to. I guess every member of the Shield is just a fucking moron around pyrotechnics because remember Ambrose with the TV camera got blinded against Bray, and now uh, Seth Rollins with the production stuff, he gets blinded randomly. Um, yeah, like these fiend matches, like the Balor one was perfect because it was short. These two against Rollins, though, the dude just gets beat on for half an hour, and then like he just he, he's fine. I I don't mind that gimmick, honestly. Like, put the guy over strong, cool. He can't be killed. Do that in, like ten minutes. Just cut it short because no one wants to see this dude just keep getting beating on, and then he he ultimately wins, especially if he's supposed to be like the heel. But I guess he's some big bad monster. But he's a baby face. The they had something with this guy, and it feels completely lost now. And why couldn't you just do, do this match at Hell in a Cell? Like you really had to drag this out for another however many weeks and do bad television with burning down the funhouse, but then it's back, and now the fiend is the champion anyway. Just, just stupid. You know, it's like t- over twenty minutes of this, and I'm th- all I could think of was. Whoever laid this out needed the immortal words of Dan Patrick. Look at what you're going to do. Think about what you're going to say. Cut it in half and cut it in half. And that's what you end up with. Too fucking long. I, I, first of all, what the, did you think the crowd was into this match? No, the crowd really didn't care about this match. Okay, thank you, because I keep having people tell me that the crowd was electric and engaged the whole fucking match. And I'm thinking, like, did I watch something different? And then I went back and checked it, and I'm like, no, they were dead for so much of the match. By the way, Bray Wyatt carrying his dismembered head lantern to the ring, that was a fucking bold move, Cotton. Let's see how that plays out. Jesus Christ. That was a, I mean, you got to play to your audience. <laughs> uh, yeah, there you go. But um, first of all, this is peak WWE not pulling the trigger at Hell in a Cell and wasting it here after the draft, which meant obviously you had to move the Fiend or Brock and they're going to be moving Brock to Raw. Um, so they didn't learn with the atrocious lighting, by the way. It made it nearly impossible to see this fucking match at times when they were in the crowd. I hated that. The red light thing is a fucking disaster. They need to stop it. I think that's why, like, the crowd isn't into it either because of this fucking red light. You can't really see what's going on. Like, it was the same thing with Hell in a Cell. Like, the crowd wasn't really into it after the initial thing, and it just makes it tough to to see. It doesn't it doesn't add anything. It really just... it. it almost takes like i'm not saying this is why the crowd was completely out of it because the match was too long and it was the same shit we've already seen i don't think it helps though no i I agree with you dude so it's like 
I've decided that Seth Rollins versus The Fiend is a special kind of bad. Because just when you thought Hell in a Cell was really, really bad, they made it worse here. I mean, people complain about moves not mattering and, oh, fucking finishers are kicked out all the time. Well, you know what? They've assassinated Seth's entire fucking arsenal in two matches. Because when you throw, like, 47 fucking curb stomps and can't beat a guy and mix in about 28 super kicks with it, what the fuck, man? I mean, there's nothing here. This match had no heat to it, no energy. There was no reason to become emotionally invested. They missed the market hell in a cell. They doubled down here to try to fix it, and they fucked up even more because it was just a horrible match. I mean, yeah, they got the Fiend the title. Great. Is it too late, though? Is it going to matter? This guy should be a special attraction. Matches under 10 minutes. Eats a couple moves. Fucking murders people. That's it, okay? 20 minutes is like the worst fucking idea you could do with this dude right now. I like how you asked, is it too late for this guy? And he's really only been in this form for like three or four months. <laughs> and it's already, they've missed the boat on it because they tried to hot shot it, but they hot shotted it too quickly. And now they've killed it. <laughs> like, that tells you everything you need to know. Four months, Larry. I know. I'm just, I'm so fucking confused. Um, okay, so then things got even better. By the way, I thought this was a horrible show. I, like, it wasn't great. I, it was, it was the, it was the best Saudi show again. I don't know how much that actually says. We got the Fiend, the title. That's what everybody wanted. So th- there's that. Um, the the Brock Kane thing was was fine with me. It was just another like overly long show that, and I like the women's match and the the Mansoor match, like the the two matches that were definitely the most popular matches and the the Saudi crowd was into. So, yeah, was it a good show? No, like there was no like outstanding match that I'd go back and rewatch a bunch of times. But I thought it was the easiest shot Saudi show to get through again i don't know what this actually says comparing to other saudi shows it was good comparing to like a good wrestling show there was nothing on this fair enough i'll let you have that one so then things got even more interesting afterwards because as everybody should have known wwe had booked a charter flight to get everybody back for smackdown and then reports started coming out that there were problems with the plane The plane wasn't taking off. They were saying that there were mechanical issues on the plane. Atlas Air eventually issued an apology. And then everybody started wondering, wait a minute, how the fuck is like, why are there so many, you know, mechanical issues can't delay this shit like 24 hours. There's not another plane. Like they can't do anything else. And then more rumors started coming out, Jeremy. Former WWE Spanish announcer, Hugo Sabinovich, Posted a video on Facebook claiming that the real reason WWE talent was not allowed to leave Saudi Arabia was because of a dispute between Vince McMahon and the Crown Prince. Savinovich claims that the WWE was owed millions of dollars by the Saudi government for their deal, somewhere between $300 and $500 million, and that Vince McMahon retaliated by cutting the Crown Jewel live TV feed in Saudi Arabia. It did end up airing, but it was like an hour later. 
this upset the Crown Prince, who responded by forcing WWE talent off the plane, causing the delay. Now, very fascinating, because if you go back and you check out my, uh, my report from the WWE conference call, every time they were asked about Saudi Arabia, the future TV deals, and how many shows they were doing next year, Barrios Bingo kept playing the, well, we can't uh, comment on the future prospects of the deal right now because nothing is specific. And he just kept pulling the, I can't comment on this card. And then there was the report that, um, you know, talent got, quote unquote, got together to charter a flight home. And apparently the real story there is that WWE was chartering another one for talent, but it wasn't for everybody. It was only for like what they felt were like the 20 most important people to get them back for SmackDown. And then, of course, that failed. Now, maybe you're wondering, what, what, was Brock Lesnar pissed off? No, he was fucking gone at his own private plane. That's part of his deal. What about Hulk Hogan, brother? Him, Ric Flair, Jimmy Hart, they got the fuck out of there with Tyson Fury on a private jet, too. So why didn't Vince McMahon stick around and take care of this? That motherfucker got out of town too. He left everybody on their fucking own. To which I thought in the back of my mind, and I will say now, what a fucking piece of shit. Um, yeah, <laughs> there's a lot to digest here. I remember it was like 3 a.m., 4 a.m. on Friday morning and... Uh, Sean from Fightful messaged me and was like, uh, there's some shit going down in Saudi. I'm like, first off, why the fuck are you still up? But yeah, and then the whole ordeal broke of they couldn't get out. And then, you know, people did some digging and found out everything. You just kind of recapped there. I don't know what the truth is. No one can seem to double source anything. So it's all just single source stuff right now. If you read between the lines, if you read the tea leaves, if you piece everything together, pretty much what you said sounds to be the legitimate story. But we're never going to know these things until or unless Vince outright comes out and, and says shit or some of the somebody in a higher up position on that level it actually says anything. Um so so who knows? It, if it is kind of the way you you described it, it's terrible for Vince to to do that. Maybe he didn't know that the the Saudi government was going to pull that shit because you know, how can a person know that he probably should have had an inkling just given the people he's dealing with. Um, and if, and once he found out he should have had a chartered flight again for those people, for everyone, for the whole roster, not just the, the 20 most important people. Like once you find out this is happening, you, you bring another flight for everybody. Like you got enough private planes, shit, you, you've got enough, pull and connections i'm sure to where you can do this it may have been difficult because you're also dealing with the the saudi government as well and and that's you know who knows if they're gonna let planes in like that's just a whole political or whatever mess that i'm not sure we can really you know we can really get into because we certainly don't know how that all works um i, I mainly just felt bad for the talent like 
those guys were stuck over there. They already missed Halloween. Like if you have, if they had kids, I'm sure you saw the tweets of like Zach Ryder and and Kurt Hawkins, like talking about their missing Halloween and and, uh, um, Anderson talking about missing Halloween and stuff like they had kids They missed trick or treating with their kids just to do this event. And then, you know, they're stuck over there an extra 24, 36 hours, whatever it was. They don't know what's going on, you know? And like, we know the Saudis history. They, it's confirmed that they killed the journalist. They beheaded a man because he said some bad shit. Like now they've got these wrestlers on a plane. Like who the fuck knows what they're actually going to do. We don't know what they're capable of. They already, they already like stuck Vince on this, uh, money deal. Like you thought if anything, this would be a good deal. Not, publicly obviously but you thought it would be a deal that worked out because all right they're just going to pay this money WWE's going to run their shows and it's going to be great but a year into the deal they were like eh we're not paying for this shit anymore and then Vince is threatening to cut feed like he just got two ginormous egos of you know they're willing to do anything and they don't care who they sacrifice and unfortunately for the wrestlers, they kind of got sacrificed here. And and it's good that everyone's okay. I'm glad everyone made it home safe. Uh, I really felt bad for those guys, though. Felt bad for the talent. But yeah, I think Vince is a piece of shit for fucking leaving. It's like, listen, if you're not going to stick around to make sure your talent gets out of a country that far away from home, you need to have one of your fucking lieutenants there to make sure everything is okay. And by all accounts, that was not the fucking case. Bunch of low-level production people and fuckers like that. It was not like anybody important like Vince or Kevin Dunn or Triple H or anybody staying there. Because Triple H wasn't there. But you know what I mean? It's like, what the fuck, man? to, To basically equate it to something basic everybody could understand, it's like a teacher at school. When you return home from the field trip, you're not allowed to leave till your fucking kids all get picked up. And in that case, in this case, Vince was fucking responsible. And this is where that fucking bullshit independent contractor stuff bites these guys in the ass. Because, like, what are they going to do? Can't fucking complain about it. Yeah, I'm with you. Vince should have stuck around and made sure everyone got out of there safe and sound. Because... Again, maybe he doesn't know that the Saudi government is going to do this, but there were clearly, not clearly, there seemed to be some type of a dispute between Vince and the government. And if that was the case, then Vince should have had an inkling, okay, let me make sure everyone's out of here and the dispute, you know, all my guys are good. The the dispute blows over. I'll be the last guy re- remaining and whatever happens, happens. You know, I'll keep a couple guys around. I'll keep some production guys around. Maybe you, you keep a few of the wrestlers. I don't know who you, you keep, but if you're Vince, like you, you look better in that regard too. Cause it's like, right, I'm, I'm sticking around with you guys. We're going to make sure everything's handled. And okay. If he gets, you know, either everything gets handled. If people get stuck and Vince is part of those people, those wrestlers aren't feeling as bad. Cause it's like, well shit, Vince is stuck here. And you know what? Vince stuck it out with us. Instead, Vince just looks like he fucking bailed and left everybody. He did, man. That show was over. He was like, you guys good deuces. I'm out. He fucking got the hell out of there, dude. He was not fucking around. As fucking bullshit. yeah, it's it's not it's not it's not a good look. I don't know what's actually going to come of it. Raw should be um pretty interesting on Monday, the day 
like raw throughout the whole day. Monday's going to be an, an interesting day because people are going to be back together. And uh, I saw, I'm sure you saw one of the OC guys tweet like, well, we're going to see who the locker room leader is because someone's got to step up and, you know, explain this thing. Vince, more than anybody, I'm assuming he's going to be at raw. He's got to come out there and, you know, explain himself. Vince better bit. start explaining or Randy Orton's gonna start shitting in some gym bags. <laughs> like I don't I don't know how you're gonna explain this, but you gotta do something. You gotta you gotta be Vince McMahon, I guess, and pull those Jedi mind tricks on these guys. Well, the only good news coming out of this is SmackDown was a great and fun fucking show. It was. I enjoyed the shit out of SmackDown, like the little NXT invasion angle to start setting up for Survivor series. Um, more importantly, the show felt fun and fresh and a break from formula. I mean, obviously NXT, they're going to end up getting some ass beatings on their end because, you know, they're not just going to run wild this whole time, but it was tremendously fun. And I had a great time watching SmackDown, probably the most enjoyable, uh, main roster show in a very long time. Yeah. They can't do this every week, but yeah. It certainly felt different and felt fresh, and it was good. And, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens moving forward. This is, uh, I tweeted it out, but, like, you know, NXT not doing well in the viewership against AEW. They're closing the gap, I guess, because AEW keeps falling at, a especially this week, a dramatically alarming rate. But this is a way for WWE to get main roster guys on NXT television without it being very forced of, uh, we're just going to bring in Roman Reigns to do this match for no real reason, just because we need to boost ratings. Like now you've given them a reason to have whoever you want appear on NXT television. And will it help? I don't know. We'll see. But this was beneficiary for a lot of different parties here, main roster and NXT because it's going to boost the profile of of, of NXT and that's what you want in this AEW war. Yeah, so it was a a lot of fun, Jeremy. We are going to move on. MLW Saturday Night Super Fight took place Saturday night. MLW's debut on pay-per-view delivered a four-hour show, including an hour pre-show. Started off, Leo Bryan defeated Savio Vega at seven minutes. Jeremy, your thoughts? Um, I didn't watch the pre-show. Of course you didn't. <laughs> Look, dude, I had <laughs> things to do. I don't care about this. I know you were pre-show. watching the UFC shit or whatever. I don't know. Okay, okay. Uh, it was perfectly okay, but uh, they did a fucking ref bump and cowbell shot in the fucking preview or pre-show opener, which was not needed. And then Vega right, got his heat nice. back post-match with the kendo stick attack. It's like whatever. Uh, Gino Gino Medina defeated Airwolf at 420 via pin. Another okay match. Unfortunately, uh, Airwolf impressed more than the the debuting Medina in my eyes. Got a a Dynasty video package. MJF and Richard Holiday were being glorious assholes as always. Next up, he at LA Park defeated Zenshi 750 via pin. Good little uh, Lucha Sprint. Enjoyed it. And then uh, we closed the uh, pre-show with Contra defeating Douglas James and Dominic Greeny and the Spirit Squad. Uh, solid, but a bit dis- disjointed at times for an overall kind of solid pre-show. Sounds like I missed a whole lot. You obviously did. 
<laughs> so uh, we move on to the uh, main show. Uh, the Dynasty arrive. MJF cuts a promo, running down the crowd, and says that the Von Erichs suck. Monks the Claw, and then Richard Holiday said they're going to kick off the pay-per-view uh, because they're, everybody's breathing rarefied air, and the Von Erichs are fake Texans living in Hawaii. <laughs> they're so good. I love those guys. The Dynasty's so good. They are. So, opening match, tor- Texas Tornado tag match, uh, rolls for the titles. The Von Erichs defeated the Dynasty at 9.55 via pin. Uh, Jeremy, your thoughts? Good match. I thought they worked the, the right kind of style with taking out one Von Erich and then and a double team in the other until you know both Von Erichs kind of got together and then they got their big victory. So, title change not too surprising considering MJF doesn't seem long for the company. I mean... Uh, MLW has TV tapings next week and MJF's going to be in Baltimore for full gear. So he's already going to miss the next set of TV tapings and granted you can do uh, vignettes and stuff and and maybe they will have some of that stuff, but he's not going to be in front of the live crowd. So yeah, it's, it was an obvious title change to do maybe too quickly for the Von Erichs, but they really had nowhere else to go with the, the tag titles and the Von Erichs are over. So I can't really say much about that. Yeah, I, I agree. A good match. And uh, again, like you said, I like the story. They worked. It made sense. And uh, it, it's a basic, easy story to work with baby faces like that. So uh, next up, Injustice defeated Gringo Loco, Set the Mo Dragon, and Puma King 10 and a half minutes via pin. I thought this was a really good all action tag with no bullshit and everybody getting time to do their thing. Pretty much exactly what it needed to be. Yeah, they worked a quick little ten minute sprint here and no real rest. Everyone kinda got some got some shine and stuff, no dead spots. And I like Injustice. I said it on the preview. I think they're they're a good act and they work well together, so no no surprise to see them get the victory here. Yep. Uh next up was the middleweight title match. Champion Teddy Hart defeated Austin Aries eighteen forty five via pin. Uh, the, the story going into this was Aries injured Hart's neck, uh, to get the match. He cost them the tag titles, hitting a brain buster on the apron. So that's how we got here. So the built-in story was for Hart to kind of probably lose, which I thought, and they teased that well because of his injury. They worked that into the match really well. Teddy ended up becoming the resilient baby face. The crowd loves him. He overcame the odds and retained. I thought it was very good. And it was also a different style than I expected because, uh, Teddy Hart matches aren't exactly known for holds and selling. It was really weird. Like <laughs> I was, I was certainly expecting, you know, Teddy Hart and Austin Aries to just kind of go all action balls out and be a Teddy Hart and Austin Aries match. And this was a very methodical match and I didn't have an issue with it. I thought the the work was good. The story was good. It was just surprising to see. And it, I think the crowd was a little bit weirded out by it too because like they were into it but I think they would have been I mean they, they probably would have been more into it if it was just kind of a, a high-paced action match like they expected but because it was just uh, more methodical they even they seemed a little bit confused by it um, but they but they were certainly into it by the end and Teddy Hart winning is a, is a fine call and yeah it was just a it was a weird match to watch because it definitely was not what I was expecting. Yeah, me either. And it was a, uh, it's kind of nice though when you can get surprised like like that and it actually works though. Because again, I mean, love Teddy Hart and all, but he is not known for holds and selling. Yeah, Teddy Hart is known for doing crazy shit for whatever time he's in the ring. So, 
Uh, we got a video from Joseph Samael congratulating Hart and telling him that he's now a marked man. Told Devon Eriks they're not done with them yet and then promised Fatu would commit a public execution of L.A. Park in the main event. Uh, I have no time for Joseph Samael as a wrestler, but he's actually a really good promo. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You sound so enthused, Jeremy. I mean, yeah, sure. He's he's fine. So, uh, next up, Loki defeated Brian Pillman eight twenty via TKO slash ref stoppage. Your thoughts? Another like the the finish was just kind of strange because you wouldn't expect that kind of finish, and I I liked it though. I'm a fan of different type of finishes. That's why I like the Brock matches, and that's why I like this match because it is different than, than what you see typically. And Loki kicked the shit out of this dude, and I thought that was the perfect way to kind of do this match. Is Loki was gonna beat some fucking respect into this asshole Brian Pillman, and he did that by knocking his damn block off. So. I, I, I like this match. Yeah, they played the respect angle really well. I thought the match was solid overall. Uh, I thought Loki was actually really great. Uh, Pillman, again, he shows a lot of potential, but he he's like really awkward sometimes in transitions and stuff. It's it's like, thankfully, Loki was so good that he covered a lot of it up, but um, just a little janky and awkward at times. It was solid. I thought it could have been better, but... uh. Yeah, he beat the fuck out of young young Mr. Pillman. Although I will say, what was awesome was uh, Pillman was uh, paying tribute to his dad wearing the fucking Hollywood blondes gear. So that yeah, was actually really was... cool. Yeah. Uh, and post match, Loki showed him respect. So we'll see where that goes. Because again, Brian Pillman Jr. The story on him is uh. Every time he makes it to a major match, he ends up losing. So we'll see exactly where the story goes. Obviously, they've invested a lot in him. So, I mean, I think they have a plan. It's just it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Right. Yeah. Um. They, they clearly have plenty invested in Pillman Jr. It looks like he's going to be around for long term. Although, once he starts improving, like this time next year, uh, I think he's going to have some pretty big offers. Probably. Uh, they announced that uh, MOW will be working with AAA going forward, so now they have relationships with AAA, The Crash, and Noah. Next up, Jeremy, Tom Lawler and defeated... AAA Tim- working with everybody. Yeah, apparently so. Uh, Tom Lawler defeated Timothy Thatcher, fifteen twenty via submission. Jeremy, you're first. Really good match. Um, re- really, you know, something different. Uh, which you would expect from Tom Waller and and Timothy Thatcher. Like, they both work that grappling style, hard-hitting strike, like, just lay it in kind of style. And that's exactly what this was, and it, and it worked, and the submission finish, really good. So I, I enjoyed this match, and Tom Waller winning, not too surprising. I mean, th- I think you said that Timothy Thatcher might be sticking around a little bit longer, but Waller is certainly an MLW guy for the foreseeable future. Yeah, I thought this was a uh, like dirty, intense, hard-hitting grapple fuck action at its finest. I, I thought it was great, uh, and I thought it was the best thing on the show so far. Yeah, it, it was certainly the best thing on the show thus far, and probably the, the thing I liked the most on the show. I know the main event was really good, and uh, even the, the stairway match was, was fine for, for what it was, but this was this was my favorite match on the show overall. Fair enough. Speaking of the Stairway to Hell match, that was next. Mance Warner defeated Jimmy Havoc and Bestia Say Say Say's 14 minutes and 10 seconds via pin. 
Uh, Manser was busted open and bleeding like a stuck pig for most of the match. Overall, I mean, listen, you're either going to love a match like this or you're not. Uh, I thought in terms of playing to the gimmick and delivering what they advertised, it was a great blood-filled plunder brawl. Exactly what it needed to be. Mance gets the big win over Bestia and uh, post-match gets Powell driven through a barricade by Jimmy Havoc and uh, hit with an acid rainmaker, so their feud will continue. But I thought this delivered on exactly what it was supposed to be and in that regard worked really well. Yeah, another weird... I mean, not weird in... The ma- the match was what you would expect it to be with with these three guys and you know advertising barbed wire and all this other stuff. the The weird part was the Jimmy Havoc Mance Warner feud kind of continuing because Havoc is an AEW guy and like I said with MJF, they've got their show next week. Maybe Havoc isn't really needed on this show next week and he can work the MLW tapings because. Jimmy Havoc doesn't really have a, a big role in AEW right now, but it's still still an odd thing of he's an AEW guy, but also an MLW guy, and there's going to be conflicts of uh, dates right there, and we'll, we'll see where Jimmy Havoc shows up next week, whether he's in Baltimore or Orlando. But this match was exactly what it needed to be. Mance Warner wins, not a, not a big surprise. This was kind of... You know, his match, he's the MLW guy, so you would expect him to win. And he's over. Crowd really likes him. He, he's got a style that, that works for him. And this was everything you would thought it would be as a Stairway to Hell match. Anyone that comes out of a box, Jeremy, is fucking over. <laughs> Remember that. So uh, next up, openweight champion Alexander Hammerstone retained, defeating Davy Boy Smith Jr. 1340 via pin. Uh, I thought they had a good match. It was... Kind of a hossy beat the shit out of each other match, but a flat finish when the dynasty ran out for the distraction and um, Hammerstone cradled him with the ropes to retain. Yeah, distraction finish roll. It was a very WWE finish, and that's not a compliment. (laughs) So next up was the main event for the MLW World Championship, a no DQ match. Champion Jacob Fatu defeated L.A. Park at 20 minutes. Uh, they were they brawled everywhere. They beat the shit out of each other. They both got busted open. Park had his mask rip, ripped open. Joseph Samael threw a fireball at the fucking referee at one point. Um, and it just, it was pretty crazy. I, I enjoyed the shit out of this, dude. Uh, the end was um, Fatu hit a catatonic but missed a moonsault. Uh, that's when the fireball happened. Selena got in the ring and, and uh, tried to slap him, but uh, Park ended up accidentally spearing her through the uh, the door or table in the corner, and then Fatu hit the super kick and Samoan drop, uh, and the double jump moonsault to retain. So a great bloody brawl that played into the no DQ stipulation re- really well. Park was actually working his fucking ass off here, thankfully. And Selena finally got her come up. It's after months of costing like the entire roster so many matches, and we got the right winner because Fatu again is a guy you should be building around. Yeah, I, I like this match. They did the smoke and mirror stuff, which you would expect them to do with LA Park being like fifty years old and working this main event. Um, he, you know, he he worked his ass off. Fatu is really great. It, Park gigged and you know really sacrificed himself to make Fatu look even better, so that worked. I didn't like the the finish in that 
it was clearly contrived. And I mean, I know when people are gonna be like, it's wrestling, it's all kind of contrived. But when Selena gets in the ring, like she clearly like backs her way into the table and you could just tell she was going to be the one going through it. And I didn't like that. It, it was just so obvious that it took me out of it. And, you know, why was LA park even like charging at, at Samuel who had his back turned and Selena being there, like he was pretty much going to run Selena through the table anyway, if he went and attacked Samuel. So the whole spot didn't like, it just didn't look good to me. It didn't come off as, believable or or logical to me it looked i mean it looked cool i will say that like anytime you know you have something like that it it can look good but it didn't come off as logical or believable in in the way they set it up but fatu winning uh obviously the the right move um that that was my only complaint about it is i just thought that that ending table spot just looked a little too contrived I think it's fair, though. I mean, it's if that's something that kind of took you out of it, that's a fair criticism, man, especially on a finish. So I get that. It's, you know. um, but, yeah, again, the right move because for as long as they're going to have Jacob Fatu, you got to utilize that guy and build around him. Yeah, he's not going to be there much longer because um, MLW, MLW ain't paying the money everybody else is. And their contracts aren't exactly like ironclad or anything, so... They're written on napkins. <laughs> Apparently so. That's how Roosh got out. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I, I thought they had a good pay-per-view debut overall, Jeremy. Yeah, really strong event. And it was, you know, an affordable event on Fight TV. And Court Bauer said that the, the early numbers were good. I don't know. I mean... He's not going to say that early numbers are bad, so I don't know how much stock you want to put into that. But MLW, they've they've carved out a nice little hole in the wrestling world for themselves, and I think that's good. They're doing better than fucking ROH is anyway. So yeah, could yeah. you see the interviewer Court Howard buys going? Listen, man, I mean, you heard about that Tripway show doing like sixty bucks, right? <laughs> He's like, we're at like fifty three, I think. I don't know. <laughs> I just don't know, man. I'm serious. But yeah, it's like, yeah, he's not going to be like, no, they fucking suck. Nobody's buying this shit. No, I mean, I hope they do well. I mean, MLW has a pretty reliable audience that follows them on YouTube. I know there are a lot of people that seem to like it. Hopefully that translates to buys because it was a good show. And like you said, it was an affordable pay-per-view for 20 bucks. It was just a tough market on the night with UFC and uh, the Canelo fight going at the same time. Well, the thing is, too, I guess not the Canelo fight, but UFC certainly was. But with Fight TV, if you want to watch the the UFC show, you could buy the MLW show, watch UFC, and then catch the replay. You, you know, you're on demand. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, definitely. Yeah. So I mean, I, I hope it does well. I thought it was a good show and a good first uh, foot forward on uh, pay per view. Yeah, we'll see what the TV tapings bring next week. MLW is an easy show to watch every week, though. If if you haven't watched it weekly really any hour-long show is pretty easy to watch and mlw is no exception there yeah so next up jeremy we had new japan pro wrestling power struggle 2019 early in the a.m on sunday opening match voldor jr titan tjp and clark connors defeated liger tiger mask taguchi and uemura six minutes perfectly solid little opener i need more of tjp in new japan yeah, TJP's been good. He was good um, in the the tag league and everything. And 
the the matches he worked for Super J Cup. So yeah, he's good. I, I'd imagine he might be sticking around long term. I don't know, but they're gonna need some people for this New Japan US uh, whatever details they have going on that. And TJP would make sense there. Exactly. Uh, next up, Taiji Ishimori and El Fantasma defeated Robbie Eagles and Rocky Romero eight forty five via pin. Thought this was a good and fun little tag match with the champions winning clean to rebound from their recent loss to Rapongi 3K in the Junior Tag League. Yeah, good good match and Ishimura and Fantasmo. The the one spot where Fantasmo was walking the ropes and shit, that was another like kind of very contrived spot for me. Like it, it looked really cool, but Romero getting up on the top rope and then having to to balance and all this stuff. Like why didn't um uh, Taguchi just uh or not Taguchi, um Eagles just pull phantasmo down when he was holding his hand as he wrote by phantasmo's balance (laughs) again it looked cool just very contrived and like all right you're you're taking a bit too long here i will say i have started to enjoy occasionally gino gambino on commentary because ishimori and phantasmo do this spot in every match where they put someone in the trio woe and then they end up both stomping on his nuts in the corner right Mm-hmm. And every time Kevin Kelly starts throwing a fit because, you know, it's a baby face getting his nuts stomped on. And Gino always comes back with some bullshit like they're securing the corner and making sure the ring was put together for later. So Phantasma is safe walking the ropes. It's just like <laughs> the little bullshit heel stuff I appreciate sometimes. So, but yeah, that was good. Um, and yeah, you're right. It was a little contrived, but at least it looked cool. So we'll give them that. It, plus, it did. It did. Plus, again, it was just a little, little undercard tag. And so, again, uh, the, the champions pick up a win. They get some momentum. Next up, Evil Sonata and Shingo defeated Zack Sabre Jr., Minoru Suzuki, and Lance Archer, 9-15 via pin. Jeremy, your thoughts? It was fine. Um, Evil and Sonata, they got to do something with these guys. They're just... They're just guys, and it's tough to get into them. They lose all their big matches. They'll probably fucking win World Tag League, and we'll get them against Gorillas of Destiny at Wrestle Kingdom for like the millionth time, it feels like. I don't know. Just do something with my man Sonata. Evil I don't care about, but do something with my man Sonata. I, I really like this. Um, they're, they're advancing the Shingo versus Suzuki story, which is going to be a match coming up. Uh, they also um, advanced Sonata and Saber because Sonata pinned Saber. So I'm pretty sure we're to get that uh, Rev Pro title match at Wrestle Kingdom. Uh, I also and that'd be better. I hope so. I hope that's. I'm what pretty they sure do, that's but... what we're getting, and I also think we're going to work into Evil versus Archer at the Dome as well. But um, post match, Lance Archer challenged David Finley for a U.S. title match in San Jose because David Finley was a little bitch that ran in when he beat uh, Juice and then wouldn't show up tonight. So Lance Archer wants to fucking murder him. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I'm all for Lance Archer just cutting wild promos like that. He just wants to kill people. Yeah, and an Archer and Evil feud heading into Wrestle Kingdom would certainly be. That seems like a, a good match as well. I hope I hope that's the direction they go. You're right. That seems more logical than the the tag league thing. But at the same time, it's Gato, and the, he only knows how to book one tag team match. This is true. Uh, next up, Koto Ibushi and Hiroshi Tanahashi defeated Kazuchika Okada and Yoshihashi at 9:35 via pin. 
thought it was really good with everyone, including Yoshihashi, working hard. Uh, Tanahashi is so fucking good. He got the crowd buying on this one cradle for a near fall. So big. And There's then, very few people in wrestling. It's like Tanahashi and Okada. Those are like the two people in wrestling who like their 2.9 kickouts are just the absolute best. Yeah, I mean, the, he had people buying it hard. So I, I thought it was really good. Really enjoyed this one. Yeah, everyone worked hard. Yoshihashi, I mean, he's not good, but you put him around these three guys and he looks a lot better. And, um, you know, so I was just, when I was doing my review, I'm writing up my, like, post-match little summary, and I was about to write, and Tanahashi is still directionless for Wrestle Kingdom. That was until we got a video from Le Champion, Chris Jericho, Jeremy. He laid out the challenge for January 5th at the Tokyo Dome, not only promising a classic match with Tanahashi, but also saying that it would be Tanahashi's last match, and Tanahashi accepted the challenge. Yeah, good. I mean, this was set up um, when Jericho faced Okada earlier this year. Yep. And I remember I thought I said that Jericho was going to show up at the the one show, King of Pro Wrestling, that got hurt by the typhoon. I still think that may have been a plan, but who knows at this point. Um, but he... He showed up here, did his little video promo, and made sense. This was you knew this match was kind of happening because the reports was Jericho was working Wrestle Kingdom, and there was even reports that the, the match had already been signed for Wrestle Kingdom. We didn't know if it was going to be the fourth or the the fifth show, and it looks like it's going to be the fifth. Then uh, the two night Wrestle Kingdom thing, we'll we'll talk about that a little bit later on with this closing segment. But we'll we'll see what they do because they had a lot of talent, but they've also got to make it make sense for two nights. Yeah, so we will see for sure. Uh, next up, uh, Tetsuya Naito defeated Tai Chi thirteen oh five via pin. Jeremy. I thought this was really great. There was no bullshit involved. It was all action and violence. And that followed the build to this really well. Tai Chi was in dangerous T-mode tonight. I, I love that because there was no fucking around. And even more important than there being um, no bullshit was the fact that it didn't overstay its welcome. It didn't go fucking like 30 minutes. 13-minute match. Hard-hitting, fast pace, Right winner. Made complete sense. I really enjoyed this. Definitely. I, you know, I was not looking forward to Tai Chi against Naito because I don't think their matches for the most part are that great. Um, I, I much prefer Tai Chi and Ishii, but it seems like the, the Tai Chi and Naito matches just dragged down by too much bullshit. This was not that though. As you said, they went 13 minutes. They didn't drag this out, do a bunch of bullshit. It worked a, a quick little match and it was good. Naito winning makes a lot of sense, especially with the closing angle. Um, yeah, it, it was a, it was a good match, a rare, good Tai Chi match. Next up, Super Junior Tag League Finals. Rapongi 3K defeated Suzuki Gun 1430 via pin. Uh, before the match, Suzuki Gun attacked and they beat the shit out of Show on the ramp and uh, further injured his back, which was the story going in. And the overall story of the tournament and everything was that Suzuki Gun pinned Rapongi 3K prior to the tournament and then they pinned him in the first night of the tournament, which means Rapongi 3K basically had to run the gambit and make the big comeback and win on the last night to get into this match. Uh, so basically the booking for this match was a good old Jim Crockett Promotions Rock and Roll Express booking where you take out one of the baby faces, 
You allow the heels to dominate until the faces can mount the big comeback, which is exactly what they did here. For, again, much like Naito and uh, Taichi, um, they did not overstay its welcome 1430. Um, I thought that it played off of the story extremely well. I thought it was great overall. I know people are going to complain about Rapongi 3K winning again. Uh, I still think we could end up with a, uh, a triple threat. But I also think that this is going to be like the last hurrah for Rapungi 3K because they're going to split them in 2020. It would make sense if they split them. They've done everything. Like, this is their third straight win, and it's like, okay. Like, I love Rapunky 3K. It's just how much more can they do as a junior tag team? You either split them or you move them up. Like, those are your two options. Um, good match. I am perfectly fine with Rapungi winning because they're awesome. And But, yeah, they after this, after Wrestle Kingdom, they, they got to do something with them. Exactly. So post-match, Taiji Ishimori and El Phantasma arrived and laid out 3K with belt shots and low blows, complaining that they should have been in the finals because they also had 10 points, but the fact was they lost due to tiebreakers. They then stole the Super Junior Tag League trophies, and my hope going forward is Phantasma is such an asshole. I hope he goes full Owen Hart with the slammies with those things. Yeah, they stole the titles or the, the trophies, so I hope so too. I think that would be a nice little homage to to own heart but also just a cool dick thing to do oh yeah i mean he's such an asshole you just want to punch that dude so it'd Mm -hmm. be perfect uh next up was the open weight title match open weight champion kenta defeated big tom ishii 20 minutes 10 seconds jeremy i will go to you first uh kenta didn't get a concussion so that's a, a positive sign much better match than their match in the in the uk because mainly because of that but i mean kenta is good when he he's conscious and ishii is ishii and they they beat the shit out of each other they had some callbacks to to the one match it it did look like you know kenta's selling job was really good in certain moments um you know making it look like he was about getting killed so overall just a, a really good match and then kenta winning with the um, took off his knee pad to to hit the go to sleep there. So, in super good match between these two. Yeah, um, this was everything I wanted from the match between these two. I thought it was a dramatic, hard hitting brawl. Kenta was actually being Kenta. Ishii delivered like he always does in big matches. There was no bullshit. That was the best thing about it because, as I've said a hundred times already, Kenta doesn't need the Bullet Club bullshit to be a great and ruthless heel. He doesn't need all the shortcuts. He can do it by just being an asshole. And he's really good at that. So I've said it for months and he proved it here. I thought this was excellent. I fucking loved it. It was the best thing on the show to this point. I thought it was Kenta's best New Japan effort so far. And after showing small signs of it, he actually felt like Kenta here. So I I love this. Yeah, I, I agree. I thought I thought this was Kenta's probably his best performance. I'd have to rethink of his, his G1 matches a little bit more, but this was definitely, like, it felt like return to form of Kenta because after the Ishii match, I mean, starting with the Ishii match, those matches felt off, and, I mean, it's no surprise that they felt off. The man got a concussion, whether they admit that or not. Exactly. Add in concussion and overbooking, and it's just a mess. So next up was the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Title Match Champion Will Osprey defeating Bushi. It's sixteen twenty via pin. Um, 
it got crazy down the stretch. Uh, Bushi was making a big comeback. He um he he hit the mist. They did a destroyer spot. Um, they did a spot actually where he went to mist Will and Will covered his mouth, and then he took his hand away and he fucking kissed Bushi and stole the mist and misted him. So that was awesome. Yeah, so they had this like crazy home stretch. You you had like the ref bump and stuff like that in there. And Will ends up hitting a hidden blade and the super off cutter and the Stormbreaker to finish it. Generally, you guys know me. I am not a fan of the bullshitting matches like this because normally, normally they take away from what could be really good matches. But this was a rare instance where I actually thought it added to the match because they got the crowd hot down the stretch. They had them believing that Bushi was actually going to fucking beat Will here. Now, he obviously didn't, but the crowd was amazing for it. And I thought overall it was quite excellent. Will delivered again. Bushi had his best effort in forever. Because Bushi is one of those guys that's like consistently good but rarely great. But I thought he was on tonight and delivered. I thought the match had a lot of innovative stuff at times. Really dramatic moments down the stretch. And exceeded every expectation I had for it. I, I thought it was a great match. Will Ospreay continues to just be absolutely outstanding this year. And I mean, really for the majority of his career. Yeah, Bushi, I, I'm not the, the biggest fan of Bushi, but he really stepped up here. And I think that was the most telling part is like that closing stretch. Well, it was not only just great as far as just their their precision and their their ability. But the crowd was just so into everything. And yeah, like we knew that Bushi most likely wasn't going to win this match, but the crowd fully believed that Bushi like had a chance and was about to pin Osprey. And because they were able to to sell that they believed, like even I on some of those near falls, like, oh shit, like, you know, are they actually gonna take the title off of Osprey? Um, because the the crowd was just so into everything. So look, if you can get the even if I'm not I personally didn't like fully buy it. Like if you can get the crowd into it, it may, it enhances the match that much more. Any crowd is going to enhance uh, a good match and make it great and a great match and make it just completely memorable. And that's what this was like. This was uh, an outstanding match and the, the hot crowd certainly helped it down the stretch. I'm not going to lie, dude. I bought the Bushy roll spot. I thought yeah, he was gonna was, fuck him there and get it. I was like, oh, yeah, it was it was really it was good. The the crowd again, they because they were into it, they had you believing like, oh shit, maybe it it happens. And you know, we could obviously think like probably not, but it certainly uh, the crowd made you believe like, hey, maybe it will. And, uh, you know, we've talked about it a lot. That's the key in a match like this. I mean, the Kenta and Ishii match also had some really great moments on the stretch where you thought Ishii could win. This match was even better in that regard in teasing a winner. And that's hard to do because power struggle a lot of the time, you don't get those big title changes. You get the occasional one, but you really don't get it. So it's like to get the crowd to buy into it at that level. And again, like I said, I bought, I bought a spot too. I thought he, I thought they were going to do, I was like, I was like, they're actually going to fucking do it. Like, holy shit. And then, you know, they didn't, but it was just, yeah, it was great. So then post match, Osprey grabs the mic. He asks if there's anybody else to challenge him. He runs down the list of everybody he's beaten in the division and then says, apparently there's nobody left. So he will be champion forever. But wait, Jeremy, it was not over. 
I wrote about it in the preview. I was actually right this time. A video popped up with the time bomb countdown. Hiromu fucking Takahashi is back. The video runs with the countdown saying he'll be back in 62 days, which is January 4th at the Tokyo Dome. And then Hiromu appeared in the arena wearing a neck brace. He ripped it off, charged to the ring. He's still a fucking <laughs> lunatic. He took a bump into the barricade. Will lays down the belt. Hiromu enters the ring. He thanks the fans for waiting for him and wants to make the junior division more fun. He said he won't take it easy because nobody else can beat Will. He then took a bunch of fucking wacky bumps in the ring. He did a neck bridge and talked to Will while he was upside down. And then said uh, Will is the best man right now, but he's he's back and he officially challenges him for Wrestle Kingdom. They shared a hug at the end. It was the greatest fucking moment of the year, Jeremy. I thought when you know the time bomb countdown was going on and they showed it and had 62 days, I was like, all right, awesome. He's back. He's coming back for Wrestle Kingdom. Let's go. Let's do this. And but he wasn't going to like appear until then. You know, I thought it was just going to be like a video tease with the countdown. But then like the time bomb is going off and he he was there. I was like, okay, it's even better. I it, it was a weird little thing, but you know, it worked. I'm not going to complain about this Hiromu return. Hey, he comes back. Fucking just takes guardrail bumps, takes back bumps, takes corner bumps, does the, you know, standing on his neck thing to show that he's fine. He has Will, like, you know, give me the mic. So hold the mic so I can challenge you while I'm uh, standing on my fucking neck upside down. Uh, Hiromu is just an absolute nutcase. I've missed him. I'm glad he's back. I'm glad he's healthy. And yeah, we're going to get Osprey and Hiromu at uh, Tokyo Dome, and it's probably going to be awesome. Yes, I'm extremely excited. I'm so happy he's back. 17 Daryl. Daryl was there. El Hijo del Daryl was there. No, actually, that was Carol, I believe. Oh, was it? Okay. I don't know, but it was definitely Daryl, and it was the orange cat that looks like Daryl, so... Uh, El Hijo de Daryl is also, uh, he's also a black and white cat, and he has a mask. All right. He went on excursion to the UK. Gotcha. So, with the great O'Karn. So, anyway, <laughs> yeah, that was fucking great. Another big match set up for Wrestle Kingdom. So, this card so far is, you know, they set Jericho and uh, Ta- Tanahashi officially. You set this officially. You have the junior tag match set. And then you're teasing Suzuki and Shingo as well as Sonata and um, Zack Sabre Jr. So a lot of attention being paid to Wrestle Kingdom on this show. Yeah, and I mean, this is their big, last big show until Wrestle Kingdom. So it makes sense that you would do what you can to set up anything you can. And then the main event was Jay White defeating Hiroki Goto to retain the IC title. Katsuhiro Shibata was on commentary during this match. Jay White was constantly talking shit to him as he beat down Goto. And then towards the end, uh, Shibata had had enough of Jay White's bullshit and Gato interfering. He took out Gato, beat the shit out of him. And then that bastard Kenta arrived, Jeremy. He attacked Shibata and... Here's your key. Shibata's fucking wrestling, kids, because my man was taking some serious bumps. 
You go back to when they did that Shibata angle where he attacked and then he got beat down, quote-unquote, by Bullet Club. That was an angle where they were extremely careful with Shibata because they weren't sure then if he was going to come back and wrestle 100%. So they were being very, very careful. Not this time, my friend. Kenta was going full bore. Shibata was taking some wild bumps to the floor and shit. He's fucking coming back, and it's going to be insane. So Jay White retains. Thought the main event was really good. Uh, probably a little bit too long at 27.45. We got the expected winner, but uh, those Shibata teases were great. The The main event was too long, and, and Jay White winning wasn't really in doubt. Uh, yeah, when Kenta came out and Shibata was on the apron, and Kenta just full-blasted, kicked him in the fucking face, that was pretty much your sign that the this guy he's wrestling at least one match because you're not taking that bump if you're not cleared in in some capacity to work and then the kicks on the floor were kind of more to it because you're right, like the the big bullet club angle they were very safe with him that penalty kick he gave him was like it wasn't going to knock over like a, a child or anything like it was it was just the weakest looking penalty kick i've seen and they, they they were protecting him this one little less protection especially that kick to the face that knocked him to the the floor i was like oh fuck like that's a kick you're only taking if you're good to go so yeah we're gonna get Sh- shibata and kenta i would uh, would assume at wrestle kingdom one of the nights and gonna be pretty awesome and then we had a, a post-match kind of raw opening talkie segment moment. Yeah, it was the only thing on the show I didn't like. Uh, Jay White was gloating about his victory. Uh, said uh, Goto's career is done because he beat him and he's an embarrassment. He's the man that sold out MSG. He's the last rock and roller and he will soon add the IWGP to his IC title. Uh, he wants to face the winner of Okada and Ibushi on the fifth. He calls them out, but Naito arrived. He challenged White to an IC title match because holding both titles was his idea. Kodo Bushi comes out, joked, said it has been a while since he saw them, and he has the same idea. Okada arrives, and he was like, what the fuck are you guys talking about? He kind of pulled the crowd, and then he said, he actually looked at Naito and dug it in from a few years ago and had that fan vote. He's like, maybe we should let the fans vote. It's like, God, it's fucking cold. Uh, he said he was proud to be the IWGP champion because the, this belt is the belt. And the best part of this was it closed with Jay White saying that everybody can fuck off because this is my moment. Give me my confetti. Jay White saved this at the end with, with that closing line, but the I thought it was fine when you know Jay White is like, I'm going to challenge these dudes for January 5th. You know, I'm going to be a double champion. And then Naito comes out and be like, okay, cool, whatever. I said this double championship first, but you know, let's, you're free on January 4th. Let's do this match. And then Jay White could have done, all right, fuck off, give me my moment, whatever. But the the Ibushi part was was lame, and then the Okada part well, was pretty lame as well. And um, it, like the crowd didn't didn't seem really into it. Like even when Okada was like, "Hey, what about the IC title? What about the you know this title?" The crowd was like barely making any noise. Like they seemed confused by the whole thing. Came off just very very flat. And Ibushi and Okada being out there was just kind of unnecessary. And 
and I did, didn't really care for it. Thought 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 that was just not needed. But Jay White tried his best, and if if it ends when Naito comes out and Ibushi and Okada don't come out, I like it a little bit better. But for with you know, you include all that and plus the crowd reaction, just not that good. Yeah, no, I agree. And again, that was like again the only thing I did not like on that show. It was. You're right. It was very raw opening segment. It was just like, all right, it was the, here it comes was the, the raw next revolving guy. door segment. Yeah, yeah. It's like here comes the next guy, and like, what what are they even talking about here? Like, either set up the match or, or don't. And this is again where you just have Naito come out. Naito says, "Let's let's fight on January 4th for the IC title." Jay White just demisses him. Whatever. Like New Japan, this is what they do. Then they they announce the the match at the press conference. They announce like, all right, January fourth, you're getting these matches. January fifth, the two winners are gonna face. That's your your big main event. That like that's how you do it. You don't need a Bushi and Okada coming out there and doing all this nonsense that the crowd didn't care about. I agree, Jeremy. So that was Power Struggle. I thought it was a show that totally exceeded expectations. I thought it was great. Highly enjoyed it. And, uh, yeah, the road to Wrestle Kingdom is fucking, it is hot already. Yeah, I mean, Wrestle Kingdom's shaping up to be a pretty big show because, um, I mean, it's two nights, so you've got to really stack both of those nights, and it looks like they're going to do the the double champion-type deal, so that makes a pretty easy main event, and then... You got Jericho and Tanahashi. I guess Jericho's not going to be there night one, but it'll be there night two. And, you know, you got the the Liger matches, Osprey and Hiromu for January 4th. You know, what are they going to do January 5th? There's, again, a lot of talent that they can do stuff with, but booking a, a two-night event like that, you especially if you're not going to do, all right, this night is going to have these matches, this night's going to have these matches. If you're going to do it, of it's going to be back to the back nights where it makes sense, then you've really got to, you know, you've got to book those nights in that way. Yep, and we will see what happens. I'm getting pretty excited though. We got some good stuff on tap. And Jeremy, we are going to talk about ROH now. I reviewed the uh, the UK shows, and for those of you wondering, uh, attendance seemingly was about 700, and that is for all three shows. 700 people for three shows that that sounds like you know good good job not good at all and uh to quote a post from you on fightful jeremy things are not fine in roh no they're not Uh, obviously terrible obviously jeremy and i we've been talking about the roh issues for a long time from attendance to booking to pretty much everything going on with the company. If you've read my TV reviews, you understand my frustration and problems with their, the horrible way that they're running their TV product right now. It's just worthless. And things got worse this week because first it was reported that Joey Mercury and ring of honor had parted ways. Mercury was a trainer at the uh, dojo from like 2018 And then he started working as a producer in uh, 2019, back in February. Joey Mercury then took to uh, social media and Twitter and fucking went nuclear on ROH, specifically (laughs) ROH GM Greg Gillian, for his treatment of talent and all kinds of other shit. 
To run some of this down, Joey Mercury accused ROH of providing an unsafe work environment for talent, pointing out that no security, no medical staff, no women on creative, and worst, uh, looking wrestling on or off TV. Claimed that Shane Taylor is not going to be re-signed January, or July, yeah, January 1st, and that Taylor had not been informed of this decision. Well, that seems kind of shitty. Yeah, there. I mean, I guess we can break it down point by point, but it is an unsafe work environment, I guess. Uh, the, he elaborated more on that. The Shane Taylor thing is really not good because you're doing this angle and his contract is up January 1st and this guy probably thinks like he's there for the long haul and if you haven't told him, then you haven't told him and... You know, we'll we'll see, but it just, yeah, not a good sign if th- this guy's contract's up January first and you haven't told him anything about it. Uh, he uh, accused Gillian of not taking proper care of Jay Lethal after his arm was broken in the UK. That's yeah, that was a that was a whole brick thing. He said he was taking a nap or some shit, or he was pre-nap or post-nap. I don't know if that was some inside thing between them, but yeah, the, instead of being there with Jay Lethal, yeah, he uh, claims the relationship between ROH and Alex Shelley has fallen apart. Well, I mean that that was pretty obvious, and it was it was also that Alex Shelley you know, has a trainer's background and they wouldn't let him do any of that stuff or a medical background. And, you know, he's got his doctorate and shit and they, they wouldn't let him do that stuff or they, they used him instead of actual trainers. Yeah. Uh, he called Gillian a liability who is inexperienced and unqualified to generate revenue in his field. Also accused him of taking advantage (laughs) of bandito. Yeah. So, so that whole thing was, he basically told bandito that he would be worth the same now as he would be in 2020 or some shit. And like, if that's the case, then like, why would you sign the guy at all? If you can't build him up and that, that was uh Joey Mercury's big point is why would you sign him? If, if you don't think he's going to be some big star, you can't turn him into a star. So, and he wasn't going to pay bandito properly. So yeah, that was, that's how they're taking it. And Bandito doesn't speak the language and stuff, so he didn't know any better. He also called Gillian out and ROH for not implementing proper concussion protocol and accused Gillian of allowing Kelly Klein to travel to South Africa to wrestle despite having a brain injury. I mean, that's just negligence right there. Yeah, that's some bullshit, dude. Listen, I don't think Kelly Klein is a good wrestler by any means, but Jesus Christ, fucking take care of the lady, okay? Yeah. I mean, that's just fucking bullshit. Uh, recalls treating Flip Gordon's elbow dislocation with the help of Bandito and Brody King instead of ROH providing proper medical care. <laughs> I mean, you know, gotta learn on the job. These guys, they need they need professions after wrestling, and ROH was allowing them to be doctors. So when they retire as wrestlers, they can say they have medical experience. Yeah, the, he showed proof that Gillian accused him, uh, Mercury of being high at a show and then wondered why he was never given a drug test. Yeah, I mean, don't accuse the guy of being high and then don't test him. And then says that uh, Gillian and uh, Sinclair asked him for his prescribed medications. Yeah, the, to, the, the implication was 
not to like check to make sure he was taking them, but to take them themselves. And, you know, they, they were basically asking him for, for drugs for them to use that, you know, wasn't prescribed to them. Yeah. And then, hi- which and, isn't legal. Yeah. And then talked about how the contracts of Shane Taylor and Bandito expire January 1st and PJ Black's contract is up February 1st. Hypothetically. Yes. Hypothetically. Uh, recalled the uh, Be A Fan incident with Bully Ray and criticized ROH for not having any security at the event and putting Bully Ray in that position in the first place. I agree with Mercury here. I thought he was trying to be a little too uh, defensive of Bully Ray. Like, Bully Ray handled that situation terribly, let's be honest. But I do agree with him. Like, how can you not uh, have any type of security to, to really handle that? And why should bully Ray even be put in that position in the first place? So I get, I get Mercury's point. I don't like that. He came off defending, um, bully Ray too much. Cause he still handled that terribly, but to Mercury's point, bully Ray should not have been in that position. Yeah, and then there was a bunch of shit where he exposed that uh, Kelly Klein was only getting paid twenty four grand a year. Dude, that sucks. Like twenty four grand a year to bust her ass to to do all this shit. Like that's not a good. And then here's the kicker: not a good wage. The fucking kicker is that she the only request she had was she wanted paid an even two thousand a month, and then this fucker was like, "Well, we can't do that because we'd have to do it for everybody." Yeah. How was she getting paid then if it wasn't 2000 a month? Like just every at the end of the year, here's 24. No, I'd you... probably just get paid per event or something. But it, it sounds so fucking sketchy. And, you know, Casey at Squared Circle Sirens has said several times that like besides the fact that um, we know the division is horrible. Apparently they've made a lot of offers to people. But because of the work environment and the shitty deals like that, they're just getting turned down left and right. Although apparently Maria Manic is already back. Yeah, well they they signed Maria Manic and and Session Moth signed there as well. So, I mean they're signing some talent. It's just. I, the whole exposing the contract thing was great because it really just goes to show how bullshit these these things are. Of okay, you know, he, Gillian is like, we can only pay you this much, and you know we can't do this for you because then we have to do this for everybody. And we know we have these non-disclosure clause where you're not supposed to be talking about your contract, but we know you guys breach that stuff all the time. And you always talk about your contract. Like what kind of fucking contracts do you have? If they just keep breaching this and they're all talking about their actual pay, like your, your contracts suck. And that's what Joey Mercury even pointed out, um, in his long rant. Cause he showed the text of Gillian, like, uh, texting him or messaging him, like, you know, don't do this. Like you're, you're, you're breaching your contract and you know, this isn't like exposing, uh, um, private information and details. And Joey Mercury's like, okay, I'm breaching it. Fine. Fucking sue me. Like, let's see this shit stand up. So the ROH problems just keep getting worse, Jeremy. And dare I say that this is like, Dixie Carter, Vince Russo levels of TNA bad. It's it's god awful, like god god awful. I mean, this we're talking gross incompetence now, negligence, unsafe work environment, and a product that is just 
it's, I don't know, man. It's fucking, I mean, I'm getting dying days of the AWA vibes. They turned Matt Taven babyface. That's going to turn everything around. Yes, he's going to feud with Vinny fucking Marseglia <laughs> the balloon guy. How dare you? This is going to set the business on fire. Oh, I can't wait for that epic grudge match of final battle. Uh, I guess I, I don't. I saw that they, you know, they had their show last night and like just no one gave a fuck about it because it was a bad night anyway, but 53 they, of their closest friends were in attendance. Yeah. The, the company, I mean, we've talked about their, their issues for seemingly like all year ever since, um, G1 Supercard, man. Yeah, ever since G1 Supercard, like we we've discussed how things have just fallen off of a cliff for them and now they're even worse than they appeared. Like they appear really bad on screen because no one's attending these shows and you know, no one is it, no one's making noise. They got no buzz. They have absolutely nothing. They they've got all these incidents with with the be a fan stuff and, and guys leaving and them not knowing how to book. But they're like even worse behind the scenes when you read some of this stuff about just letting people perform with concussions, not having proper medical staff, not having proper security. Like there's just so many issues behind the scenes. It's like yeah, the on screen product is absolutely terrible, but. It's even worse when you peel back the curtain. And I said it, I've said it many times. I think they're WWE property uh, in by the fall of 2020. I just don't see how they last. Like they're not doing anything. They, they get more and more um, issues behind the scenes. And it's just like, I don't know how you last because guys aren't going to want to work there. Whenever their contract is up, they clear, they can't seem to pay anybody. Um, I mean, Matt Taven, look, if they're spending this money on Matt fucking Taven, then, which I still don't buy, by the way, I don't think he's making triple NXT salary, but if he is, this goes to show how incompetent this entire company is, to be honest, that they're spending that much money on Matt Taven. There's been a lot of speculation on that WWE front, Jeremy, because Joe Coff is getting older. He's the dude that's running ROH for Sinclair, and apparently he's looking to retire. And the feeling is that Sinclair may want to unload the company. And it'll be interesting to see what happens. I mean, I I don't know. I mean, if obviously WWE seems like the obvious choice, but I mean, do you think Anthem would nut up some more money since they just bought their own fucking network? Cause they're looking to, you know, they're looking to buy more content for like the fight network and shit too. So I wouldn't rule that out if they can get the equity to do so. But yeah, it's, it does not look good for ROH. It's like, I don't see Cobb staying because his main reason for working ROH. I don't see anybody stay. Well, hang on. His main reason for working ROH was so he could get New Japan dates. But with New Japan now going to running the U.S. arm. I'm sure they're going to be more than willing to sign Cobb so they can have him for that and obviously use him in Japan. Can't see Bandito staying. Can't see Dragon Lee signing with them. Because everybody wants fucking Dragon Lee. You know, it's like, I, I don't know, dude. It is it is not a good situation at all. And it's like, I, I kind of jokingly have this in our thing, but it's like, it is, the question is, is ROH now a dumpster fire? It's like, it's looking that way. 
It's been a dumpster fire. I mean, you've got your women. Kelly Klein's the women's champion, right? Yes. Okay. I, I, clearly, my favorite division. Un- unless you watch you've got your women's TV. Champion. If you watch ROH TV, Angelina Love is still the champion because they're so far behind. No one watch it. That like that's the other issue. Like I, I mean, I don't want to beat this dead horse, but TV and the the on the the pay per view product or the honor club product, whatever. They're they're two different products. Like you got to follow. This is why I gave up watching ROH TV because it, it's not a TV show. Like, do they even have television tapings anymore? They just do their like shows. It's they, an they, honor they did club, their show last night. Honor club taping, and then they use it on TV. Okay, sure. It's 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 a company that doesn't make sense, and they, they don't know they don't know what they're doing. And yeah, whether it's WWE, whether it's uh, Anthem, whoever buys them, I mean, I always just think it's going to be WWE because that's where they're going to like they want that tape library. That tape library would be like imagine how big that tape library would be for for WWE to put on the network. Oh yeah, they would draw a. Like that would boost subscribers right there because you you get those classic Daniel Bryan, Samoa Joe, AJ Styles, CM Punk matches, like those those era. You you basically get uh Rollins career at that Owens point. Like you, you get Zane, so many I mean, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like you get so many guys who you have under your contract. Like you get a big bulk of their career and their rise up the independent scenes with that tape library and like that like that's that's a lot of money for them Obviously, like I whatever mean, whatever they pay go ahead i was gonna say yeah i mean if i'm wwe i make a heavy push for it because i yeah because as you mentioned there's so many people they have under contract that so many things they can put together they've licensed footage off of roh in the past so then you wouldn't have to do that anymore because you would own it and then the other thing too is like you basically pull a wcw with it you buy the company for whatever you buy it for, mainly for the tape library. You keep a couple talents, and then you shut the company down. Because that's exactly what they'll do. They're not going to keep it open. You know? They're going to get no, it for they're not the library. Keep, they're not keeping it. Yeah, yeah they're, they're not keeping it open and, unless it's to... Unless they go with like a tiered network thing and then they just have more wrestling on their television. Like the, the same thing with like Evolve, but then they replace... You know they replace the the people like Gilly and with actual competent people, and then they just have more wrestling on the network because those guys are gonna uh, they're they're gonna need um, you know they're gonna need content if they go to the tiered network, and we know they're all about producing content. That's legitimately all they can talk about on the the financial calls nowadays because everything else is down. But they're like, but we're doing 18 hours of live content every week. And so that, that's their big selling point. Uh, ROH is just, it, it's trash. And I guess people get mad because I probably sound like I don't care when we review and preview these shows. Shit, you should listen to me and Larry off the air when I feel very indifferent of when he's like, we're going to talk about ROH. And I'm just like, do we really have to talk about ROH? It's just, it's it's a bad company. It's a bad wrestling company. There's so many, so much good stuff out there that it just feels dumb to keep wasting our time talking about ROH and these uh, ultimately meaningless events. But if you want to bury ROH, I'm all for that. And add into the fact that they had to cancel those upcoming Texas shows because of basically nobody going. <laughs> 
What did they call that? Like a scheduling conflict or some shit? Scheduling like... conflict because nobody could find time in their schedule to go. Not good, man. Yeah, like they already moved the one show. Yeah, they moved like it was. It was supposed to be at one arena, and then they moved it to another arena, and they just flat out rescheduled it. Rescheduled it for like June 2022. So it's like almost a year that they pushed it back. It's like, yeah, you're not gonna be around in June 2020. Yeah, it's um. They're it's... still doing meet and greets though. I want to go to this meet and greet and see how many people actually show up for that. It's it's not good, Jeremy. It's definitely in a bad place. So we'll see what happens with it. But um, I'd be lying if I said it looked good because it doesn't. I, I told you they're they're WWE property the, this time next year. Like I September 2020. If they are not WWE property by September 2020, I think that's when I first mentioned the idea that they were going to be uh, bought by WWE. I would be absolutely stunned it would be a a tna situation of i don't think anything turns around by september 2020 they just for some reason the the plug has not been pulled on them yeah so we'll see what happens so that is today's show i want to thank everybody for listening remember this is the 411 on wrestling podcast you can follow us on itunes stitcher spotify google play youtube and of course the 411mania.com website Please make sure to subscribe to the show, share us around on social media, and if you have time, leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Jeremy, thank you as always, buddy. Yeah, do we want to tell the listeners of our big plans for this week? Tell the listeners, Jeremy. Well, I'm going to be at AEW Dynamite. It's in Charlotte. I'm going to be at the show on Wednesday, and then... um, so usually we record Wednesday night, Thursday morning, talking AEW and NXT, but because of my my schedule, and then I'm going to be headed to Baltimore for StarCast and Full Gear on Thursday, so you're going to get live perspective of the AEW goodness and all the backstage scoops that I'm definitely not going to have uh, when we do podcasts. So what, we're recording on Thursday while I make my drive to Baltimore, so you're going to get all the AEW scoops, and then from from dynamite and we're recording sunday when i drive back from from baltimore back home so you get the all the full gear scoops so yeah you're getting live live stuff on this podcast that is our plan yeah so we will hopefully that will all shake out well so thank you again jeremy safe travels later this week yeah i'm looking forward to it gonna be a fun week definitely so again we will talk to you guys later thank you as always have a good weekend